you're listening to Season 2 of the Auxiliary Gate Podcast, Kentucky's weekly horse racing discussion. And now, here are your hosts, Alan Schneider, Brandon Jaggers, and me, CeCe Broadus. Hello and welcome to episode 57 of the Auxiliary Gate Podcast. I'm CC Broadus, and I'm joined by Alan Schneider. How are you, Alan? I am fantastic. Uh, summer's coming, vacation's on my way and, and such, and the racing is just getting better. The Churchill meet's been great. Uh, I'm a generally happy guy, and I, I, I remain that way today, brother. Well, this has nothing to do with anything, but I learned how to make uh, fried pickles since our last podcast. Oh, how do you do it? I mean, I, they're pretty good. How do you do it? I did a pretty good job. But uh, you didn't think I was going to lead off with that, did you? No, I didn't, Sack, but uh, Sack Part 2. But uh, I'm, I'm I'm impressed, I'll be honest with you. I didn't I'm, know you were I'm, quite the culinary wizard. I'm walking in the footsteps of the gods. <laughs> Apparently so. <laughs> that's a hell of a deal you got going on there. Very nice. That's a good uh, one. That's a good one. <laughs> so uh, I had a big weekend. Uh, you and I are both fortunate enough to attend a Churchill Downs. I had several stakes races, seven stakes races. Each one of them was uh, very exciting. had some very exciting finishes, had some uh, – mm-hmm. Horses that uh, really stamped their stamped themselves as uh, key contenders in the, in the big stakes races over the summer. Any highlights for you? Uh, well, you know, uh, first off, Invitant, uh, obviously, we all knew that horse was going to win, honestly, but she did it so impressively. She did it much, much more in a visually impressive fashion than even I thought. Uh, I think the horse has big. big Big, uh, big things coming down the road. That's the one that probably caught my eye the most, um, and that works out real well for later on here in a few seconds. Um, off the other top of my head, the Mighty Heart race. How about Mighty Heart? The one-eyed Canadian wondered. I mean, that's a, that's a game of races you're going to see by a horse. Aptly uh, named. Win by, yeah, aptly named. Very aptly named horse. <clears throat> um, oh, and, and set piece. Set piece, and again, just, I mean, that was – just an amazing turf run. That, I don't know why that horse keeps kind of plying his trade around here. There's bigger things uh, in line for set piece, but I'm sure we're going to see that uh, soon. What about you? Yeah, from a thoroughgraph perspective, I think uh, that we talked about on our last podcast, this was an important race for set piece. It's the first time he put really two gigantic efforts back to back. So I think uh, we'll see him hopefully at uh, Saratoga this summer. Well, he'll probably yeah. come back maybe in the wise Dan later on in the meet. So yeah, yeah, exactly. Might get to see him one more time before uh, before they go uh, to New York. Mm-hmm. I agree. So uh, speaking of uh, the aforementioned en boutant, uh we've got a guest tonight, and uh, this guest co-owns one of the one of the top older fillies, as we talked about, an en boutant who uh, professionally defeated a solid group of fillies and mares in Saturday Shawnee Stakes at Churchill. But our guest is no one-trick pony as he's also campaigned several other black type runners, such as Fighting CB, Cairo Cat, and Lights Camera Action. Prior to joining the racing industry, our guest founded Quorum Business Solutions in 1998, a company that provides software solutions to the energy industry. We're pleased to be joined by the owner of Walking Ale Thoroughbreds, Scott Leeds. Scott, how are you doing tonight? I'm great, Cece. Thanks for uh, having me on. It's a pleasure to be here. We're, we're glad to have you. Uh, before we get to... Uh, Talking about the big Philly, uh, 
I want to ask you about your, you, you own a, a cattle ranch. Uh, I noticed on your uh, website, it says fast horses and fat cattle. I, I When I first saw that, I saw fast horses and fast cattle. I thought you may be <laughs> in, the, in the cattle racing too, but uh, uh, where is your ranch? Uh, no fast cattle there. They, they kind of pretty slow and move around at their own pace. <laughs> Uh, our ranch is uh, in uh, northeastern Oklahoma, uh, not too far from where we grew up. Uh, my wife and I grew up in uh, Muskogee, Oklahoma, and uh, just outside of Tulsa. So uh, we've got we've got a cattle ranch there. We run about 400 uh, mamas and uh, raise uh, raise Angus babies every year. So wait wait a minute before I keep before you go on any further, CC. Alex. You're an so you're an Oki from Muskogee. Is that what you're uh, saying? I, I am a real Okie from Muskogee. Oh, Merle Hager would love that for all you classic country fans. I do. I do. I wish I'd had you on here sooner, Scott. I love that. <laughs> Go ahead, CC. So, okay, you said you have 400 head of, uh, of Angus. Uh, basically, uh, it's a cow-calf operation. Yeah, we've got a cow-calf operation. About 350 of those are uh, are. Angus commercial mixed cows, and uh, we run about 50 uh, purebred Angus cows to get uh, bull replacements and uh, and uh, to keep kind of the the purity of the Angus bred ourselves, rather than having to go off and, and buy too many Angus bulls. And uh, so we uh, we raise in the cow calf business about 350 commercial calves a year to to send to market and. Uh, We've had a lot of fun. We've had that for 10 years, just started to have a, a place back near where we came from to to spend a little time, get away from Houston. And uh, we're in the process right now of moving back to Tulsa. So we'll be about 45 minutes away from the ranch. And uh, I've already got my spot on the on the hay baling team set up for this summer. And they're glad to have me back as a as a hand. <laughs> So, oh, well, that was my next question. Are you, are you hands on with the operation? I haven't been hands on enough. I've, you know, I, I, my my main hands on is is doing the accounting and sticking my nose in the business uh, as we've as we've got this going. I've got a great guy that's uh, that lives on the ranch with his wife and uh, he takes care of everything day to day. But uh, I think he's actually pretty excited. I'm going to be there because. Uh, that usually means when he sees me get something that he decided he wanted a new toy or something. So, uh, so we're, we're, we're really looking forward to being back there, back around family, back home and, uh, to, to spend a lot of time, uh, hands on at the ranch, both in, in the hay and with the cattle all year long. I got to take exception with something you said there. You said it was a lot of fun. Now for somebody that's been a, a myself, I've lived on a farm my entire life, a cattle and, a uh, soybeans, corn, etc. Uh, the the Angus cattle on a daily basis try to kill you, and uh, and then on down to the Holsteins. The Holsteins uh, are are tried to get in as much trouble as they possibly can. I've had Holstein cattle with buckets on their heads and and get caught in the fences or try to escape, and it it's been a it it it's kind of a nightmare. I'm kind of glad I'm out of the industry. Well, I've. Uh... Yeah, around where our ranch is, you know, you don't want Brangus cattle. You don't want that Brahma mixed in with the Angus, uh, or, or as we say there, you know, they've got a little too much ear on them, and uh, those are the ones you want to stay away. Ours, ours are pretty well broke to the pickup truck, and uh, they know the pickup truck's got the feed box on the back of it, and uh, they're uh, they're pretty tame for uh, for cattle. So, 
I always got a kick out of when I drove out into the field to, to maybe give them some feed or, or throw out some salt. They'd come up to my truck and lick on it. I always got a kick out of that. I don't know. It's just really weird. But uh, Anything they get used to. They are creatures of habit, and they, yeah. they, they know when the truck's not there by 7.30 or 8 o'clock in the morning, something's wrong. So. <laughs> Well, anyway, let's uh, let's get on to more uh, 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 faster subjects. Uh, let's talk about your filly, Andrew Taunt. Uh, this is a, a brilliant filly, a daughter of Uncle Mo, that you all purchased at the Keeneland September sale uh, a while back. But she's uh, she's really come to hand to for you lately, uh, dating back to uh, when she won uh, the Fall City Stakes back at uh, Churchill in, in the fall. Uh, first of all, uh, getting into this industry, was this something that you expected to, to have a filly like this so soon or, or, or was it, was it luck or, or how can you describe, uh, uh, how can you describe how you, uh, came to know, uh, the, the success of Andre Tant? Well, and, and the one thing I learned, so we've we've been in the business for seven years now, so still relatively new and, and a lot of opportunities for us to add to to what we've accomplished as we go along. But uh, the one thing I've learned very early, luck has everything to do with it and everything just has to to fit together. Um, I got up to the sale at Keeneland a couple of years ago, uh, a, you know, a little late and Kenny said, you need to go look at at this particular filly at the Bakary consignment. And, uh, you know, you need to look at her with three chimneys. They're interested, but they want a partner. So uh, I talked to Gonzalo for a few minutes from three chimneys and I, I went over there and I got, I got there right as Chris was getting her ready to go up to the back ring. So just 15 minutes before she went through the ring to take a look at her. And I think he got a little agitated. I wanted him to walk her, but, uh, you know, it worked out for him that we bought we bought her. So I think he got over that pretty easily. But we just really liked the looks of her. She trained really well as a as a late yearling being broken and, and into her two year old year with Kenny. But she uh, she had some some back ankle issues and really just kind of got delayed as a two year old. So she wasn't able to start until uh, down at Gulfstream last year, right early in the year in February uh, of her three-year-old year. So we were already a little bit behind schedule. And then, as we all know, after February and March last year, everything went bizarre in the schedules and mm -hmm. everything else. And she she did end up uh, breaking maiden third time out down at Gulfstream uh, pretty impressively. We were pretty excited about what we have with that filly. But with all the stakes being moved around, Keeneland being delayed till the summer and, and a bunch of the other stakes, we uh, we had trouble finding races to get her into. We uh, we were excluded uh, from both uh, the fantasy and the overnight stake at Oaklawn that they ran on Arkansas Derby Day last year um, because of, you know, how little an earning she had just having run the maiden special down at Gulfstream in the winter. So, you know, we we had we tried her on the turf in a stake that didn't go bad, but it didn't, you know, turf's not not really her ideal surface. So, you know, we were able to finally get her back up to Churchill when they started in May and ran 
ran a really strong allowance race. That's when we really knew we had something extra special. Uh, but just played catch up the rest of the year with her uh, up until after the Alabama when she finished fourth in the Alabama behind Skydiver and Bonnie South. Um, we took a step back and said, we really need to remind her she's a good horse and it's okay to get in front and win. So mm-hmm. Kenny looked around and uh, sent her down to Remington in Oklahoma City for the Remington Park Oaks. And uh, we were excited about that as uh, Okies. Uh, you know, we, we were going to we get to go up and be in our home state and watch one of our horses run. And, uh, you know, she won that handily as like the eight to five morning line favorite. So she was expected to win. She did. And uh, then off of that race is when when she won the Fall City, which, you know, I think even off the Shawnee, which was a really, really good effort for her the other night. Um, the Fall City was just a race where, you know, we were all extremely happy with what she did, how she worked and uh, did it from the, you know, from the start all the way to the end uh, and ended up winning by six or seven lengths. And, uh, you know, with with that race, we felt like if timing had been different, if we'd have got a two year old start, if, the you know, chips had fallen a little different last year on the stake schedules you know, we, we, we might've had an even bigger year last year, but that really just set her up for what we felt like was a horse that kept getting stronger, kept getting bigger. And, uh, Saturday night or Saturday afternoon in the Shawnee, we felt kind of showed us, um, where we were at. We felt real good coming out of the La Troy Inn. Uh, I think the pace in that and with, with a horse, you know, when you've got the Oaks defending Oaks champion and she dares the devil in front of you setting 12 second fractions, mm-hmm. um, you know, it, we're not going to get past that horse in that scenario very often. But uh, also kind of felt like if we'd been the one setting the same fractions, it might have been hard for her to get past us. So this was just a, another confidence booster for her. And, uh, you know, the plan was to really have her set up to go to the Fleur de Lis so that she does all of this without, you know, leaving Churchill for over two and a half months uh, and run three stakes races there. So it's worked out perfect. Another thing that might work in your favor with the Fleur de Lis coming up at the end of the month, I believe on June 26th. Uh, so you've got She Dares the Devil, Latruska, Swiss Skydiver all going on Saturday in the Ogden Phipps at Belmont. Uh, those three, I can't imagine they would they would just come back in the Florida Lee. They probably would skip that one and go on to something something later down the road. And then Monomoy Girl is on the shelf, so you know this 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 field might come up to a little softer than normal. Hopefully for you, we'll we'll take it and uh, we we won't be ashamed of uh, of what the rest of the field uh, is or isn't. And uh, I think it's going to work out perfect though. All three of those horses, along with um, uh, along with Bonnie South and uh, Valiance, all are horses that you know might have been good candidates for the Florida de Lee with the with the win and your end on it, as as well as just you know a solid race and a solid purse. Uh, it's always drawn a good a good field. So um, you know, I, it, it'll probably it'll have some pretty strong candidates some of the horses we ran against in the La Troy Inn I'm sure will be back for for a race six or seven weeks after after the La Troy Inn was so 
you know, it, it, it won't be anything that's a walkover by any chance, but uh, we, we like the spot. We like the Kenny kind of, you know, with skydiver and Kenny says this, anytime people talk to him, he's trying not to have them run against each other. And that's hard for him. It's hard for all of us. Uh, you know, Brad Cox has the same problem in his barn with, with three or four fillies and mares that he's got to space out and try not to run them against each other if he can. So, um, I think it works out, and after the Fleur de Lis, there's a there's a lot of opportunities uh, across the country. We can split up and have our shots the rest of the year, uh, leading up to leading up hopefully to the Breeders' Cup for all of them. And sooner or later, they're all going to run against each other, and we want to be in that mix. Let's uh, back up a little bit, talk about the yearling sale again. Where uh, I think you said that you you asked uh, the the uh, the uh, the lead to, to walk the horse for you at the sale. Do you, do you do your own inspections at the yearling sale, or, or do you have a team? How does that work for you? Well, Kenny Kenny is our bloodstock agent, and uh, you know, for me, when we got in into horse racing, I talked to Kenny. Um, I actually got in by buying five twenty percent shares in uh, two thousand and fourteen um from him, and I told him I'm not looking to do this as a twenty percent kind of guy very long, so you've got to teach me. I want to know what I'm looking at. I want to know what you're looking at. So, um, actually before our first runner ever hit the, uh, hit the track, I was at the phasic July sale that year and, uh, walked around with Kenny for two days, looked at every horse and every barn and, uh, realized I'm never going to be at a point where, uh, I'm going to understand all of it, but I, I, I try to make as many of the sales as possible. Kenny, Kenny goes through, um, either by himself or, or with, uh, a couple of, of guys he has helped him every horse and every barn, uh, for every day of the sales at phase again, Keeneland. And, uh, he comes up with a short list for every day. And if I can be there, what I try to do is walk through the short list for that day's, uh, the hips that are going to go through the ring that day with him first thing in the morning and, uh, you know, identify out of that, the ones that, you know, he thinks fit for what we're looking for. And, um, you know, I give my opinion and, uh, I don't mind Kenny saying you're wrong on this one. Uh, and, and we need to go forward if you don't, if I don't think it's a good one or vice versa. But, uh, you know, Kenny, had, Kenny had picked on Bhutan out in the consignment, had her on the short list, had already talked to three chimneys about her. And, and, uh, like I said, they were looking for him to find a, a partner. And that was one he kind of felt like fit what we were trying to do. And, uh, cause we, we do do a mix of Colts and, um, and Phillies. I know some people go one direction or the other and, and don't mix it up. You know, I like I like to have a little bit of both so that we've got action on uh, on both sides of the program. And, uh, you know, with the Phillies, you know, I like trying to look at you not know, just the horse themselves, but, you know, on the on the catalog pages, is, is this a horse that's got a good pedigree that, you know, if something does happen that she can't run very good or she has an injury or, or we have other reasons that she doesn't end up with the career we want her to, that there's a little bit of value there from a broodmare perspective. Uh, Ambutant definitely had that out of her mother, Enchante, who was black type. Um, and then Ambutant's half, it, you know, after we bought her and uh, as she had started winning, Ambutant's half is uh, 
the Colt Halliday that won the four star Dave at Saratoga last summer. So, she, you know, she's a half to a grade one winner. We want to make the dam, a, you know, a double uh, a double producer of grade one winners. Have you got into the breeding side yet or is that something that uh, maybe down the road? Yeah, we, we have a little bit, uh, probably, you know, we, we've, uh, we've kept a handful of the, of the mares that, uh, we had on the racetrack, our, our first mare that, uh, we own along with, um, our partner and a lot of, a lot of the horses we have fest miles out of Lexington. Um, we, we owned, we ended up together owning all of wonderment when she finished her career and you know wonderment won the bourbonette so she was a graded stakes winner as well as uh won a won a handful of new york bread stakes so you know that was our our first real success in fact was the first horse we ever had that won a race and a stakes race was wonderment so you know we've kept her um she had her first foal two years ago so you know, our first homebred is a two-year-old this year that we've kept um, that's down in training at Gulfstream for Kenny, um, a, a colt named uh, Spidey Sense by Spikestown. And um, mm-hmm. he looks like his mama, except she was small and he's even smaller. So he's either going to be a heck of a sprinter or we've got to get some weight on him this year before he before he gets going. But I think all told right now, we've got, we've got five mares. Um, we just retired after uh, after a race at Turfway in March. Uh, one of our other stakes winners, Jeweled Princess, and uh, you know who who went on a tear last year and won five out of seven races. Yes. And um, you know she she kind of was looking like you know she was kind of not going to move forward as a four year old the way the way she did as a three year old. So. Um, you know, we retired her, and she's in Fall to Gun Runner right now, uh, along with uh, Wonderman. So, wow. Well, there you go. I assume if you decide to keep on Breton, I'd, I'd say Three Chimneys has a, a really good stay, and you can bring two. We 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 we've already both joked that we know we know where we'd send her if it comes up to that. <laughs> well, have you decided at this point? Would you retain her as a broodmare, or, or or she just has too much value? Maybe send her through the the sales ring at some point. Um, you know, it, we, we haven't discussed it between three chimneys and myself. Um, I think the, the value she's got right now and, you know, if, if we do have some further success this year, and especially if we can win a great one this year, uh, with her, then that values even more. Um, we'll, we'll talk about it. We'll look at it as, you know, I, I look at the broodmare side as it's nice to have a home and a place for for these mares if if that's the right answer for us to to keep them in a small broodmare band but um you know a horse is going to be valued like on is going to be valued for for a small stable like ours uh we can buy a lot of yearlings uh with uh with what we can get off of off of a horse like on so um you know it is a it is a business and uh that that'll be a hard decision uh because you know she's obviously the most successful horse we've had, and uh, it'll be hard to hard to part with her. But uh, you know we'd have to give that serious consideration. Well, it's a good problem to have, that's for sure. Uh, yeah. Since since you mentioned, we'll uh, take it. Yeah, absolutely. Since you mentioned Jewel Princess, uh, I think that's a favorite of Alan, so I'll turn it over to him right now. 
Yeah, uh, well, first off, you actually stole my thunder a little bit with Jeweled Princess. One I wanted to ask you about, because I know the horse, it was a typical Ken McPeak horse, and that uh, it took a little time to develop, but as the distance got longer and as she matured, she, she as you mentioned, she went on a tear. She got really good last year. I believe, didn't she win a stakes in the Midwest, if I'm not mistaken, Prairie Meadows or she, Remington? or? We, she won a, She actually ran in the Remington Park Oaks uh, in September against Ambutant and finished fifth, but she didn't travel as well down there as Ambutant did. It was still hot summer in, in Oklahoma in September. Uh, but then she came back to Kentucky, nailed off two more races uh, at Churchill, and we were looking for something more to do with her. And Kenny said, you know, there's a stakes in December at Remington. I think we ought to send her back down there. And, um, you know, she'd already, she had actually already beaten older horses in, a, in some of the allowance races that she had won mm-hmm. last year. And um, so this was a, this was a, an older, older fillies and mares combined race uh, and went down and, and it was a good field. I mean, she, yeah. she ended up, holding the nose off of Istan Cancel, who was in the Shawnee the other day uh, for uh, for the Joneses. And, uh, you know, it it was a it was a really it was a really good performance. And that that kind of capped off just an awesome second half of the year. I mean, her, her year ended it wasn't just a good three year old year. Uh, we ran her in the uh, abbreviated Keeneland meet in a in a maiden claiming 50. Uh, so the first week of July in a maiden claim in 50, she broke her maiden in that claiming race and thank goodness didn't get claimed. Right. And um, and then ran off a total of five races in the six months to finish the year off. So, yeah. you know, a really, a really good, she's a really good filly last year. Uh, and again, she just, she got in a funk as a two-year-old and a three-year-old. She Her first two or three races as a two-year-old, she was close. Um and then just kind of went in a bit of a funk where she just wasn't interested or, or we weren't getting the right, the right races for. And, uh, but once it clicked, um, it clicked good. And, you know, Brian Hernandez was on her for most all of those, um, except for the two down at Remington. And, uh, he certainly, he certainly made a big difference with her. In fact, she would have won one more race. We actually finished first on Oaks Day last year with her and in, in uh, a terrible DQ start terrible the, DQ. the card and yeah got DQ for coming over at the start of the race so you know she she and you know, when you consider that one I mean she she went on as much of a run as any horse we've ever had and and probably will have yeah, she's a she's a she's the prime example of when the light goes on for one. When the light goes on and it's uh they, they go on a tear and that's what she did last year. But I'm I'm glad you've talked about Ken McPeak and and Brian Hernandez a little bit because here at the auxiliary gate, our crew are inherently going to be partial uh, to any operation that uses Ken McPeak and Brian Hernandez. We're big fans of both. Uh, Brian's an extension of Ken McPeak, it seems like. And, and I know that that's a relationship that you guys have had basically since you started. And uh, it only seems to be going getting stronger. Is that fair to say? I mean, your relationship with Ken McPeak and as an extension of that, Brian Hernandez? Yeah, ab- absolutely. Like I said, Kenny, Kenny I, I think I've, I've had one other horse that was in a partnership and managed by, one of, by the other owner. I've, I've had exactly one start as an owner that Kenny was not the trainer. And, um, you know, when I when I started with Kenny and asked him to teach me 
the business. Let me be a hands-on owner. I want to learn. I want you teaching me what I need to worry about, what I don't need to worry about. And having Kenny for both, you know, picking the horses, which, you know, I, I, I see both sides. There's nothing wrong with having a great bloodstock person or, you know, doing it yourself and going out and picking and then deciding which trainer is best for that horse. But I'm at a point still where I want Kenny to be my trainer. So what better person, right. especially when he not only wants to, he really wants to be the one picking the horses. Well, I want him picking the horses he thinks he can train. And, that you know, it's just worked out so much better than I could have ever imagined. And, you know, you get people whisper in your ears and give you hints and ideas and stuff. And I appreciate that. But, you know, Kenny's never done anything but right by our horses and by us as owners. And I see that with with all the other owners I've, I've got to meet and become really good friends with. And, you know, Kenny's become a brother to me and uh, a much older brother and, <laughs> and all. But uh, he, you know, he, he's, he's, he's become a great friend. He and Sherry to, to Dana and myself are, are great people. We, we get opportunities to, to stay in their, their place in Saratoga and down in Florida and, you know, and be with them and, and, and Annie and, and it's just an extension of our family. And really, the same goes for Brian. You know, first few years, Kenny wasn't riding Brian as much. But the last four years or so, Brian's kind of been our go-to guy as we uh, as we get the two-year-old started at Ellis and Churchill in particular. And uh, so he's been able to be on some of our really good horses early. He's come in. En Bouton, we started her down in Florida. So, you know, Brian's... A, at the fairgrounds in winter. So he, and, and we had, you know, other jocks, we had Julian and, and, uh, and Dylan Davis on her down there. But when we, when we got up and he had the chance to ride her here, I think that even, you know, gave her an extra level of confidence. One of the reasons I wanted to have you on for a long time, in addition to the whole invitant thing is there's a lot of our listeners may not know this story, this connection, but one of your most successful and noteworthy horses is a horse called Fighting CB. Right. And he's a multiple turf winner. He won the, with anticipation, I believe, at Saratoga. Is that correct? Right. I'm not mistaken. But that's that's just the beginning of the story with, with, with this horse. Uh, could you explain to our listeners who kind of don't know what I'm getting at sure. uh, about the background of this horse and how his on-track success has helped many veterans? You bet. So, you know, two parts of the backstory. The first part is the name Fighting CB. So this horse um, was named for my late grandfather. And, uh, you know, not only did I get to grow up two blocks away from him and spend every day of my life as a kid uh, being around him. So he was extra special to me. Um, You know, in, in our time being married, he really became Dana's only grandfather that she got to know in life so you know he was such a special person to us we wanted to name a horse after him so we named a horse fighting cb because he was um, he was one of the very original cbs in world war ii served in the pacific theater and uh man spent his entire life being proud that he was able to serve in the navy and serve his country and uh you know, just kind of a lot of the stuff we learned from him. So when we got close to having his first start down at Ellis, 
I told Dana, we, we need this horse to do something other than just be good for us and, and fast and, and Kenny and, uh, you know, let, let's, let's do something with some of his earnings. And one of the organizations that we've always heard about and, and done a little bit with down here in Houston is, uh, is a group called Camp Hope, which is, um, it's a residential facility that's run by the PTSD Foundation of America. And they have usually somewhere between 80 and 90 uh, veterans who are suffering from all of the ills of PTSD. Um, guys who don't want to go on with their lives, who don't know how to go on with their lives. A lot of them on the doorstep at uh, the hospital, uh, you know, being turned away for the umpteenth time to get help with this. Some of them in jail. Uh, and luckily someone from the police or from the DA's office called these guys and say, can you help them? And, you know, the one thing I didn't know until I started spending time with these guys is on average, 22 veterans a day commit suicide. Wow. And, you know, so we're talking one every hour and six minutes, basically. And they, this is a program they spend between six and eight weeks, usually peer peer-to-peer counseling, spend time with each other, just understanding you can get back into society and uh, you can overcome all of these problems. And uh, we want to help you do that. And, you know, so it's it's an organization that kind of drew us to want to help them. And I thought, what better way than with this horse? And uh, so from the beginning, we've we've shared, you know, some of the earnings off of off of his purses with uh, with these guys. They're excited. They're um, you know, they keep track of when he's running. They try to watch it if if they've got access to to whatever channel it's showing on down there. His wind pictures are on their wall in their in their main campus. And it's just been a really good connection. We've got another horse called Camp Hope. Right. Uh, that won on debut at Churchill last uh, last October. And, um, you know, and then we probably pushed him a little hard and turned around and ran him back in the Breeders' Cup two weeks later. But uh, he's he's been out getting a little rest and overcoming a couple of injuries. He's he's back in training and probably looking at being back on the track before Churchill's done. And, uh, you know, so. CB runs this Friday in an allowance race at, at Churchill, and it's just fun to be able to share that and uh, to kind of see the impact that that can have on uh, on the lives of guys who've given, you know, not you know, not only their all and but come back, you know, wounded with the, what what they refer to as the unseen wounds of war, and uh, we're glad to help them and their families. That's fantastic, and I'm I'm so glad that that you shared that with us. And uh, I know every time I see fighting CB run, I know the story, and I'm pulling for him. And I think of all those guys that are pulling for him. In addition to the monetary help that he gives them, the fact that just letting them have something to root, I just think that's fantastic. And uh, I applaud you guys. Um, so that's again fighting CB folks Friday at Churchill. Make sure you cheer uh, cheer them home. Okay. Uh, but one one quick thing, uh, you, you're, you're, you're walking yell thoroughbreds. I think that's a fantastic name, 
And uh, the logo is even better. It's it, for those who don't know, it's a, it's an L with two L's and it. it looks like three L's walking. I think it's remarkably clever. Uh, how did you come up with the name and or the logo as well? Because I think it's distinctive enough where people just recognize that name on the racetrack. I know I do. Well, so that actually comes from the cattle ranch. And uh, when we first bought our, our first set of property for the ranch um, is almost a joke. You know, well, we got a, you know, we've got we've got ranch land. Now we need a ranch name. Um, so our family's small. It's it's Dana and myself and we have one daughter, Allie. And uh, so there's three of us. And uh, I, you know, so we're sitting there eating dinner one night and I'm throwing out names and I'm like, you know, maybe walking something. And Dana goes, well, what about walking L? And I'm like, well, yeah, that's it. And then I got to thinking, well, what would a logo be? And I'm like, well, you know, an old fashioned brand would be an L that's walking. Okay. Well, there's three of us, there's three L's. And, uh, that's, that's how the, that's how the logo, the brand and the name came to be. So when we got in horse racing, you know, I'm, you know, I just, the only thought I had was, well, we're just going to keep the walking L going. So it's walking L thoroughbreds instead of walking L ranch and, uh, kind of a real throwback to the fifties and sixties yeah. when, King, when King ranch, uh, down here in Texas, uh, which is uh, one of the largest ranches in Texas, uh, historically and still is, mm-hmm. uh, you know, when they, when they ran horses like, uh, uh assault and citation, right. Yeah, that's all. I, I I figured that somewhere along the lines of that, whatever. But I I think it's remarkably clever. And uh, one last question for me: You're from uh, near Tulsa. You're from Oklahoma. Um, so Oklahoma Sooners, Oklahoma State Cowboys, Tulsa Golden Hurricane. Are, what, do you have a uh, a rooting interest in there in Oklahoma for someone? You know, as 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 my age gets on, I find I have a tolerance for all three. Oh, uh, really? But I I grew up. I grew up in an OU Sooner family and uh, not that anybody had ever gone to school there, but you know, and I know like in most States, right. You're, you're, you're either the state school or you're one of the two state schools. So we grew up in most of, most of Muskogee was OU territory at the time, even though now it's OSU territory. And uh, so we grew up Sooners. I actually went to the university of Tulsa, but when I was there, I quickly realized all, uh, all Tulsa fans, all Golden Hurricane fans are Golden Hurricane fans, but almost all of them are Sooner fans, too. Yeah. And, uh, so those two worked out well together. So, uh, you know, I and then, as I said, as I get older, uh, Dana's family are all OSU grads. So uh, I've I've found to have a tolerance for them when they're not playing either OU or TU. Yeah. As I get, it's the same thing with Kentucky and Louisville here. As I've gotten older, I've softened. I'm a Kentucky fan, but I've softened to Louisville. And interesting connection with Tulsa. Uh, the Kentucky, Tulsa's former basketball coach, Tubby Smith, came to Kentucky. That's right. And uh, that's right, won a national championship there. And this Tulsa's former football coach came to the University of Louisville, correct, CC? Steve Cragthorpe, right? Craig, so, yeah. small world. It is. And, you know, t- yeah. Tulsa, is the, Tulsa is the birthplace of coaches. Uh, you know, we every time we about – get on the point of being good for two or three years in a row, then obviously our coach is on his way somewhere much better. So, yeah. Isn't it Bill Self from Tulsa too? Is Bill Self? Bill, Tulsa? Bill, Bill Self, Tubby Smith, um, Steve Robinson, uh, Nolan, yeah. Nolan, Nolan Richardson was the first one. Uh, but in football, John Cooper was the Tulsa football coach before he went to Ohio state. Um, you know, so it's, a. Uh, 
it, it's a long list of great coaches Tulsa has had. So that won national championships elsewhere. Uh, 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 <laughs> elsewhere, yeah. Some, yeah. some of them in basketball got us as far as the uh, the Sweet 16 and one trip to the Elite Eight. So, oh, yeah. all right, CC, I'll kick that back to you. Uh, just a couple more random questions uh, for for Scott. Uh, what's your what's your favorite racetrack experience uh, in your seven years of owning horses? Is, is there anything that stands out? It's like wow, I, I'm looking forward to doing that again. Um, you know, we we've been fortunate and we've we've won races at so many. Uh, of the iconic places you know we've we won our very first race at belmont our first stakes at belmont we've won at saratoga we've won several races obviously graded stakes at churchill and and we we enjoy all of those uh the fans you know just the overall environment at keeneland's hard to be just how quaint it is and everybody tied in there together having a good time um you know i I thoroughly enjoyed being down at Kentucky Downs. Lights, camera, action. You mentioned her earlier. She finished second in a juvenile Phillies down there. We had a great time down there. And honestly, from a just show up and have a good day at the racetrack. Time, Ellis Park. Ellis Park. Hey, Amen. I, I knew it. Know, I knew it. Yes. I've, I, I've done it where I've gotten in the truck and driven from Houston to Henderson to the races. And, uh, and then on over to, to Lexington or Louisville to see the other horses. But, you know, just pulling in there and standing outside on that big concrete grandstand. And, you know, there's just there's just something state fair about it, which is the, the little bit of experiences I had going to horse races in Oklahoma growing up was before Remington Park and, and before before very much went on uh, for, for paramutual racing in the state of Oklahoma, we're at the fairgrounds in Tulsa and at, at, uh, at Blue Ribbon Downs. And, uh, you know, I, I've heard other people talk about Blue Ribbon, you know, as some of the places they spent time when they were in this part of the country. And it's just, it's just such a unique atmosphere. And I, I've been there on ostrich and camel day and, you know, it's, <laughs> it, it, it's just, it's just a great experience. And so, Believe it or not, the only the only Kentucky track I haven't been to in person is Turfway. So uh, we'll have to get that off our list here in the next year or two, even without without the grandstand. So okay, yeah, I love Turfway, but yeah, I knew he was going to say Ellis Park because CC and I. This is a Kentucky horse racing podcast, and one of the things CC and I like to do is showcase the Ellis Parks and the Turfways of the world. Ellis Park's fantastic, and if you, people have not got there, you need to go. It's it's uh, it's it's a, a state fair in the middle of farm kind of atmosphere that just works for, for, for guys like us. So I'm glad there's you said soy, that. There's a soybean crop in the middle of the infield. That's right. I mean, and where else and, can you and, get that? And, and Ken McPeak uh, takes his really good turf horses down there sometimes, like, I don't know, Hard Strike, right? So I promised there last year. Hard, so that, hard that's Strike, your horse. Fighting, fighting CB the summer before that. Um, you know, Fest mentioned to me the other day we've won we've won a maiden special weight at a mile on the Ellis Park turf two July Fourth weekends in a row. So he he told Kenny at the races Sunday that you know you better have one of them ready to go run at Ellis on the Fourth of July. But uh, you heard that, folks. Fourth of July, I bet Ken McPeak and Walking L. We've we've got a streak going there, but no, that's where Fighting CB broke his uh, maiden and mm-hmm. then set out uh set out a few weeks until we got or almost two months up in saratoga before we ran the with anticipation there you go 
Well, that leads into my final question. Uh, Ellis Park's fast approaching, less than 30 days away. I, I hate to do this to you, but it, I don't want to put you on the spot, but is there any any two-year-olds that we might need to keep an eye on? At Ellis uh, Park? You know, I think we're going to be hard-pressed for Ellis Park. We may have a starter next week at, uh, at Churchill, so maybe that would be our Ellis Park starter, too. He's a, he's a Sky Mesa Colt. Uh, no, Colt. I, I'm sorry. This is the only gelding Kenny McPeak has ever picked out for me. So, you know, this is our Derby horse, right? <laughs> yeah. and, uh, so, you know, it, it's a Sky Mesa gelding, uh, climb and maintain. And uh, we own him along with uh, an Oklahoma City uh, owner, Jim Morris of River Ranch. And, uh, you know, we'll, we'll see why we get there. We're, we're excited. I think that if you want ones to look for later in the year, uh, we've got a really nice colt by street sense out of a unbridled song mare my way that peter bloom um bred named make way mm-hmm. but he's probably a little further away than than the first part of ellis i you know he, he may well be a, a later in the ellis meat type of horse or a saratoga horse uh, probably the the one two-year-old we're most excited about is um we you know we've got run the tap um, which is a, a gun runner filly out of high tap, uh, which is a tap oh. there that Winchell, yeah. Winchell ran for mm-hmm. Asmussen. And, um, you know, we're, we're, we're pretty excited about her. And uh, that, that actually, I misspoke earlier. She's actually the one that's half to Halliday. Oh, okay. Well, so, well I hope so, she runs on the turf down there. <laughs> so we're so we're we're excited to get her going. She's she's um, had a little chip taken out of her ankle and is just now back in training. So she she may well be a, a Churchill Keeneland starter later in the fall. So sounds great. All right, outstanding. Well, Scott, this has been a pleasure. Uh, I've enjoyed listening. To, I could listen to you talk for hours and, and hours uh, on end, but this, this has been uh, fantastic to say the least. Uh, we wish you the best of luck with Envertant and uh, fighting CB uh, this week. And uh, hopefully uh, we'll uh, we'll see each other soon. Maybe we can talk about uh, uh, some of your uh, two-year-olds later on in the fall. Nope, that, that'd be great. I appreciate it, guys. It was fun joining you. And uh, we'll see you hopefully at the Fleur de Lis. You got it, brother. All right. Thanks a lot, Scott. Thank you, Scott. You bet. Thanks, guys.